Welcome everybody and here we are with another interview with a data scientist. My name is Richard Carter and I'm a data scientist at the Data Lab in Scotland and today I'm very pleased to be joined by Ewan Nicholson who's principal data scientist at Skyscanner. Hi. Hi there Ewan. So if there's anybody out there who hasn't heard of Skyscanner yet can you give us an idea of who they are and, and what you do please? Yeah sure. Uh, so Skyscanner are a uh, Travel company, essentially. So what you can do with Skyscanner is you can use Skyscanner uh, to search for cheap travel options or good travel options for you because it's a really complicated problem being able to uh, you know, figure out what the right flight is that gets you to the hotel and the car and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Skyscanner make that really easy and it's a global company as well. So growing all the time. Sure, so I mean it's actually one of Scotland's success stories isn't it? One, yes. of, one, of, one of the unicorns as they say valued at uh, over a billion dollars. I think it was it was bought um, in 2016 wasn't it for about one and yeah. three quarter billion I believe. Yeah we've just had the anniversary actually so okay. it's been very exciting times there. So. And, and it's actually been going I think about 15 years or so hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was started down in Leith in Edinburgh down by the docks in Leith in Edinburgh, so it's been a very exciting time for the for Skyscanner. Yes, good. And and so, what is your role there as a as a principal data scientist? What what do you do day to day? Yeah. So um, my job is as what we call an individual contributor. So that means that I'm uh, technical. I'm hands on. Uh, I do data science every day, uh, and not so much of like the. Um, Management, line management, and all that sort of stuff. So that's that's what things. So, are you responsible for a team there? Do you have? Uh, you, are you you working in a team or? Yeah, or, yeah. Or with people, like, um, within a within a team uh, in Skyscanner, we're split up into uh, what we call squads. So there's squads or small, uh, self-reliant teams that get a problem solved. Okay. So that means that you, as a data scientist or an engineer or whatever, uh, you're working with. Like designers, product people, marketing people, to really just focus on that problem, all work together, all pull in the same direction and get that get that solved. So, so like you said, Skyscanner is obviously a global company. So, I mean, how many how many people roughly are employed? And how, or more interesting, how many data scientists yeah, are, yeah. Are, are, are within the organisation? So, I think we're uh, between. <coughs> 900 and 1,000 people at Skyscanner now. I find it hard to keep track sometimes. And we've got around 25 data scientists, uh, again, globally, like right. between all of our offices. But is Edinburgh and Scotland still the, the main base for, for you as yeah, data scientists? Yeah, Edinburgh is still headquarters, so, but uh, all of the offices are really nice places as well, uh -huh. so we've got, we've got get, a really nice mix. Do you get to travel? Yes, yes I do. I've got, I'm very lucky that I get to see some of the other exciting offices. So how did you, um, how did you end up uh, at Skyscanner then? So it's... Um, well, uh, data science isn't a job title that was around when I was at university. I studied physics uh, back a while ago, and uh, at the physics department at Edinburgh, there was a lot of like numbers, science, and they were very good at teaching you how to use a computer as well, so there was lots of coding and stuff like that. So when I graduated, I kind of fell into a few different industries, like I was working in online advertising for a while, uh, I was working in the oil industry for a while, I worked at the BBC down in London for a while, and then uh, c uh, moved back up to Edinburgh to come to Skyscanner uh, mm. 
about five years ago now. So is there any uh, natural relationship between the kind of problems you've worked on in, in, in those uh, organisations compared to what you do now at Skyscanner? It's not... Um, it's certainly not an obvious one. I think the main, the main uh, joining factor is that it's, it's being good at numbers uh -huh. and it's being good at using a computer as well. Like that's, that's really what this data science thing is all about. So. Because you were telling me before we uh, went on air about uh, modelling the the flow of currents uh, around uh, seas to laying cables. I mean, yeah, yeah, sound like an obvious transition, but um, it uses the same tools, I'm guessing. Yes, no, like um, that that job working offshore, uh, I worked on boats that were finding oil. Uh, they would sail uh, very slowly around the sea, towing big cables behind them, uh, and my job was to use the, the statistical background that I had and the numeracy skills that I had, apply them along with the kind of uh, computer skills so that I could get the networking going on the boat and I could use Linux and Unix and all those sorts of things to... Mm -hmm. uh, so it was the same mix of skills uh, underneath, but the actual application of them was completely different, so yeah. different results. Now that you're, you, you're involved in hiring data scientists then, I'm curious yeah. to know, this, you, you obviously just said there that it wasn't data science when you were at university, or it wasn't recognised as an area, and now there's obviously lots of um, undergraduate and MSc courses in, in data yeah. science, but given your own background, how does that affect the way that you hire data scientists, or the way that you look at applicants for the data scientist roles and uh, yeah. within Skyscanner? So I think there's... It's still the case with data science being such a young field relative to software engineering or whatever that there's still very many different ways in to data science. Like that's there's still they're starting to become that kind of formal path of you do the excellent master of sciences that we've got in data science and that gives you a path in. But it's still very open to like if you've come from a different background, let's say you've come from uh, you know, science or accountancy or, or software engineering, there's still plenty of ways into data science. Um, the thing that people always think about when they think about, oh, I, need, I want to get into data science, they think that, uh, you know, it's all about machine learning. So I'm going to go and do all of these online courses, I'm going to read all of the books, I'm going to go on YouTube, I'm going to read all of these articles, and you know, their their machine learning skills are a big part of data science, but they're not everything mm -hmm. in data science, is probably what I'd say. And once you start opening that box up of machine learning, then you feel like you've got to learn everything about machine learning. And uh, that's not really the way to, I would say, that you should focus on for getting a job in data science. There's still so many paths in. Mm -hmm. And what I'd probably say is, like, thinking about the other parts of the job and thinking about ways that you can dip your toe into data science mm -hmm. and see if you if you do enjoy it. That's mm -hmm. probably what I'd advise. So what what are the kind of things do you have in mind apart from the kind of, you know, picking up the, the huge great textbooks yeah. like we've all done, I'm I'm as guilty as that as anybody and um and trying to learn the latest things. What what would be your advice there for people who want to develop their skills as a data scientist? Like there's there's probably as many paths into data science as there are data scientists just mm -hmm. now. That, there's not one kind of cookie-cutter path, I would say. Mm -hmm. But one thing that seems to work really well is if you're already uh, interested in the field, 
but you're working in maybe a slightly different domain, mm -hmm. then try and take some of those things that you're learning about and apply them to the job that you're currently doing or mm -hmm. the, the work that you're already doing. And that's really good because it lets you do two things. It lets you validate that actually data science is interesting once you start doing it practically. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is that it allows you to demonstrate uh, the, the impact that you've had. So uh, that's a really uh, compelling thing when you see somebody's CV is that, that they've got uh, a, a demonstrable impact that they've made using data science. It's, that's something that's big thumbs up. So. Exactly. And it's, yeah, so you can read all the, all the books in the world, but unless you've got some kind of tangible outputs from, from this and you've shown yeah. that you can actually apply what you're learning, then that's the thing that really would, uh, to an employer, would, would look very favorably. Yes, yes, certainly. So, as you said, data science is very interesting, I'd agree with that, but it's also, uh, at, at times, quite difficult. So I just wonder for you, what are the main challenges that you yeah. face uh, in data science day-to-day? -day? Um, so, probably um, probably the trickiest part for me is explaining exactly what it is that I do. Um, whether that's to my colleagues or even my friends and family and stuff like that, it's really tricky to describe exactly what a data scientist uh, does um, and also trying to explain what you're capable of. So quite often you fall into this trap of uh, you get uh, success using one technique in one particular domain and then that's the thing that you get known for. So maybe it's like, you know, oh, we can do forecasting. Mm -hmm. So we're going to apply forecasting all over the organization. That is good, that works, but the, the greater impact that you get is when you're able to explain a bit better what it is that data science is, what it allows you to do. It's not magic, it's a set of techniques that you can use. And there's all these different application domains for it. Like That part about explaining what I can do is the thing that I find trickiest yes because especially for the non-technical people it uh, it must be very difficult to to explain that when they've seen you do one thing and then to use the old adage when all you've got is a hammer everything looks like a yeah, nail yeah exactly um, so the that that's probably the the hardest thing the, the the other part about data science that nobody really talks about is all of these kind of um the hidden parts of the job so, like we talked a little bit there about explaining what you're capable of. That's one of the hidden parts of the job that nobody really talks about. You've got things like the preparation and the acquisition of data. That's a huge part of the job. And being able to tidy that up and explore it, mm. like that takes an extraordinary amount of time when you're, when you're actually doing it. Then you've got the kind of... the. Once you've got that, then you get into the bit that everybody thinks of. So the machine learning, the feature engineering, the validating that the model's working and all this sort of stuff. Like that box that everybody thinks of. But then you've got more hidden work that comes afterwards, which is all about uh, how do I maintain this model? How do I keep it running? How do I make it adaptable when the, the data that's going in changes? And th then you've got the human part of it as well, mm. around like how do... Um, how do I explain what the model is doing to somebody so that they're able to, to believe it, they're able to trust it? And how do I explain it in such a way that they're able to input to it, they're able to give their critique of it? And uh, like uh, that side then feeds into, it 
feeds into the beginning of the cycle again because mm -hmm. once that person's seen the success and they've seen the um, the ability of data science, then uh, it it starts the whole thing again. There's another problem that crops up. There's another ap potential application that we discover together. So. so you said earlier that you 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 you're based in squads there. Uh, yeah. Do you have to find the problems to solve, or do the problems come to you then? Um, a bit of both, I would say. Um, like there's definitely a case where people. Like they've they've seen the application and success of data science, so they come asking for more data science effort in their particular field. Um, that that's definitely a big part of it. But I think everybody who's got um, the job title data scientist or the the kind of that background, there's a responsibility on you to talk to people and to try and understand what their jobs involve and figure out ways how you could apply the skills that you've got to the domain that they have and like that is where that is one place where you get a lot of value you you can spend it's it's the Pareto principle sure. you can spend a lot of time optimizing a solution that you've already got improving the model tweaking the hyperparameters all that sort of stuff but if you've got if you've got a model there then you've probably got a lot of the value already that mm -hmm. you're going to get if you can find a brand new domain to go and work in, then you're going to just all of the all of the value that you're going to get there is going to be much much bigger. So it's again, it's it comes down to communication, doesn't it? As well, it's the it's the thing that they don't teach you in the technical textbooks, yeah. but the ability to go out to understand the domain, to speak to the subject matter experts, yeah. and actually then engage with them and help them to understand how you might be able to help and. Uh, and for them to understand what your toolkit set of skills actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're working on one of these uh, projects, how do you actually measure the value that you've delivered? That's a great question. And I think there, there probably isn't a very clear answer to it, is the, is the real nux of it. Like we're data people. We want to put metrics on every bit of effort that we apply. Quite often, some of the value that you get isn't that you've shifted one of the key business metrics. It's not that you've uh, changed this, you've saved time in this process. Quite often, it's that you've learned something or you've uh, you've proved that something doesn't actually work. Um, or those kind of vague value that you can see is happening, it's incredibly difficult to actually put a figure on. Uh, we have spent time playing about with that, trying to figure out if we can do it, but uh, you can't capture all of the value that we delivered just by uh, numbers that we, we, we would like to be able to, we'd all be able to love to plot a chart that goes up, Yes, we uh, so, but uh, it's not, not always, not always, not the, always the case. But uh, but clearly you are you are delivering value there. Um, so what is it really that excites you about working at Skyscanner? It sounds like a, a very interesting place to be. Yeah, um, I've uh, I've been there for five years now, um, and I I still love working there. Um, probably the biggest thing for me is around the culture that we've got in Skyscanner. It's very much about um, innovating and being uh, a, being a grown-up, 
you get treated like an adult at Skyscanner. Like, mm. uh, I remember on my first day of my job, they handed me my laptop and said, uh, yeah, that's yours, do what you like with it. Whereas I'd just come from uh, another organisation which was very locked down and I had to go through layers of bureaucracy to get access to a database. Mm. So um, it's a really exciting place to work because of the culture that we've got. And for me, the most important part of that is that they really encourage you to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our values is all about mastery, it's about teaching other people, and it's about learning stuff. And mm -hmm. for me, that's incredibly exciting, because that means mm -hmm. I, I get to hop out of bed every morning and go very excitedly to work. And so within a, a, a big commercial organisation like Skyscanner, how much mm -hmm. opportunity do you actually get to try new techniques uh, because I'm thinking that the business yeah. might just be very results orientated and if you were to go along with a potential solution to a problem but it's not something that you've tried out before you know there'll be some ambiguity uncertainty as to whether this is going to work in this particular case or not uh, how, how are your employers there actually giving you opportunities yeah. to, to try out new things and, and take new yeah, techniques yeah it's it's certainly something that you've got to get the right balance of um, like if we were purely just looking at results uh, then we would always just do exactly the same thing that we'd done before the tried and tested uh, no room for failure no room for adaptation that isn't the way that we are at Skyscanner uh, we do a lot of um, celebration of failure like if you tried something out and it didn't work but you learned something that's that's great that's <laughs> something to be uh, celebrated. Um, so we do have quite a lot of room to try things out. The The balance that I was talking about is that it wouldn't be very satisfying for anybody involved if you just uh, explored and played for six months and then you looked back at the end of the six months, what have I actually achieved? Uh, not very much. So what You've got to make sure that you're doing that exploration, but always with a view of, is this going to help me? Is this going to help answer that question? Um, and quite often, a really effective technique, if you're, if you're in that situation, like you want to try out a new thing, is to just time box it. Say that I'm going to spend uh, a week trying to build this new architecture. That's It won't be finished, but it's just going to prove whether we can do it or we can't. Mm -hmm. And if you, it goes back to that thing, if, if after that week it's a failure, but you've learned, then that's that's awesome. That's that's really good. So this celebration of failure, I think I think you called yeah. it, is very much um, in line with the kind of scientific method. So I, I yes. just wonder how how are you able, or are you able to apply the scientific method within a big organisation like Skyscanner? Yes, um, like I. I I'm a physicist, still at heart, it was what my degree was, and I really love science. Um, it's the best tool that we humans have got to make sure that you're not fooling yourself, you're not deluding yourself that you've got the right answer. Uh, we do apply science an awful lot at Skyscanner. Um, we spent a lot of time kind of instilling in people that we're doing experiments. We're coming up with a hypothesis we're designing an experiment to try and disprove that hypothesis. And then once we've done that, then we go and everybody now goes and does the analysis of the results and they put it into the significance test calculators and they're able to say, actually, you know what, we didn't find the statistically significant impact when we made this change, but we've learned 
that there's there's something there. So that mm -hmm. then loops right back around and increases our collective knowledge. It's, exactly. It's a so beautiful thing. so that time that you actually spend, although you didn't get a quotes and quotes positive result, you yeah. have obviously learned a lot, which you can then take forward and iterate and feed into the next we, yeah. experiment we were uh, I was watching a talk with, from one of my colleagues who uh, they were presenting all of the different uh, experiments that we've run over the past year and the, it's only the minority of them that have actually moved the needle at all right. um, but that's really what you'd expect is that you know, you're trying things out if you were just going to get a positive result every time then it's not an experiment sure. it's a <laughs> It's a, something that looks like an experiment, but it's not actually an experiment. Yeah, so. yeah. And is there an example then you can give us of, uh, of a project that you've worked on recently? Yeah. Um, probably the nicest one to talk about is um, a project that I've been working on with a few of my colleagues uh, that we recently presented at the uh, at, um, a session affiliated with NIPS conference out in uh, LA. Uh, this is around the field of uh, attribution modeling in online marketing. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine uh, that, let's say we've got three marketing campaigns and we want to correctly say which of them are the most valuable to us. Uh, we've got ABC, but uh, if all of our users see a mixture of A and B, B and C, A and C, or all three, then it's very hard to disambiguate which of them are the right ones. Mm -hmm. So we've been applying various different uh, techniques there. To, it's to try and figure out what the value of those campaigns are. And it's an interesting problem because it's a prediction problem, it's a regression problem, but you're not really interested in how close you get to the right answer. What you're really interested in is how close you are to the, how good the answer you get for the coefficients of the regression. Uh -huh. So like how good an estimate you get of the different values of the marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. The really interesting thing about that is that those values in the real world are hidden. You mm -hmm. can't observe them. Mm -hmm. So we've had to figure out ways of like, how can we work with simulated data to say, if the world worked like this, mm -hmm. How good would the model do at picking that up? If the model, if the world worked in this completely different way, would this same model pick it up? So that's been really exciting, and uh, we've we've had a um, really nice uptake of that. It's really innovative and good to work on. There's obviously been a lot uh, recently in the world of machine learning around uh, deep learning. Is that something that you've uh, looked into much at SkyScan? Yes, um, it's not. Something that's like our. Quite often, when you read uh, the internet these days, and you you find out that deep learning is being applied in all of these uh, completely disparate fields, whether it's from uh, playing Go and chess at superhuman levels, right through to I saw something the other day that was. Um, there's now a way to apply deep learning on the indexes that are get used to build databases. Okay. And instead of using the old uh, uh, computer science way, using the machine learning way, you get a 70% increase in the, in the speed that you get. Um, so you, you read all of these incredible applications of deep learning, and then you want to go and apply it to everything that you do. It is really great a lot of the time, but a lot of the time you've got to make that decision of, 
well, in this particular example, I'm a lot more interested in the interpretability of my model rather than the... Uh, I'm willing to trade off a bit of accuracy for a bit of interpretability. Or, you know, it's... like I've, I, I, I really want to be able to... Um, Explain the explain the outcome that this is doing. So, like, tell me why it's told me to increase this this part of it. Um, so that there's a lot of trade-offs you've got to make whenever you're figuring out what the right algorithm to use is. And mm -hmm. deep learning, we do use a fair amount, but there's a lot of scope to use it more. And you've just got to be really mindful that we're using it in the right way. Not mm -hmm. just like you're saying, going around with that hammer and yes, bashing everything, hitting that every, like everything a nail. That, every nail in sight. Yes, and of course, the other thing with things like deep learning is when you have to this interpretability question, and um, just wonder how important that is in in regard to um, maybe ethics. And I'm thinking here of GDPR and actual. Uh, being able to explain outcomes of algorithms, is that something that's yeah. uh, important to you guys? Yes, it's something that is going to become... It's already enormously important that you're able to explain why the why the machine has told you that answer in a lot of instances. Um, I think things like GDPR that you mentioned, there's also a lot of questions coming up about the the kind of ethical or moral implications of the machine learning. like it, it gives an answer because you put that training data in and that training data has biases in it and then that has an implication in the real world. Mm -hmm. like we're really only just starting to think of that properly as an industry now. now and that is going to be one of the most important questions that we answer is like, why does the computer tell us this? <laughs> is like, like that, that's got to be answered before we can really uh, answer all of the questions that we in data science are going to get about the, the biases, the morality, and the like, legislative. We're, we're going to get... If we don't think about this properly now, then we're going to get really in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think it's it's really really interesting times actually to see how how uh, that bit plays out. And just before we wrap up, I mean, more generally, do you have any um, opinions on the way that uh, the field of data science is going to go over the next few years? Well, um, yeah, I think that for me, I think it's such a young industry just now. Like we're going to start to see all of the same things happen that we've seen in other fields like software engineering is probably the closest neighbor that we have and we're going to see a lot more of uh, us being able to answer these questions about legislation and ethics all these sorts of things and I think that we're going to get a lot more formalized in a lot of the processes that we do so we're going to be able to borrow a lot from the software development methodologies we're going to be able to learn from mistakes that have been made in other fields and I think that we're going to see Maybe as the field matures, like a lot more rigor and a lot deeper understanding of what it is that we're doing. I'm quite excited to see how that evolves. Yeah, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, you are out of time now. But uh, maybe here's an invitation to you to come back in a couple of years' time, yeah. and we can actually see let's see, see how, how all this has played out. Yeah, let's see how much. Um, it just remains for me to thank my guest today, Ewan Nicholson, uh, principal data scientist at Skyscanner. Thanks, Ewan. Thank you very much for having me. 
It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, please check out our website. It's www.thedatalab.com for more information on data science, particularly with uh, a bias towards uh, Scotland. And uh, we'll speak to you and see you again soon. Bye for now.